0: I invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I've been preaching through the book of Hebrews this summer. And in case you're here for the one and only time and you're saying, well, how can I hear about the rest of Hebrews? You can listen on our website or iTunes and kind of pick up where we began and where we are now. Just to bring you up to date, uh, the title of the message is Therefore. And that's because that's the way this passage starts off. So you know the standard church line. If you see a therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. And what he's been teaching up to this point in chapter 11 is about faith. He's defined faith. He's illustrated faith in chapter 11. And so now he's going to talk about living by faith. We saw last week that faith is the substance of things hoped for. The word substance means the support, the underpinnings. It's, it's things that you are hoping for. And it's not just that hope of saying, well, I hope this happens. What are we hoping for? We're hoping... For the promises of God. God has made promises throughout His Word. Over 7,000 promises of God in Scripture. And so when we're hoping for something, it's not just some pie-in-the-sky thing. It's something that God's promised. And so faith is what holds all that up. It's the Faith is a substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And people talk a lot about, well, I guess it's just blind faith. No, there's evidence. It's not just blind faith. It's not just that you're stepping out into nothing. It seems that way sometimes. But the more we know God, the more we know God's there to catch us. God's the one that's holding us. God's the one that's walking beside us. And then he lists this great hall of faith in chapter 11. And so he comes to verse 1 of chapter 12. And he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I want you to think for a minute of how you've grown up to this point. Are there people in your life? Who would you look back on and say, that person set an example for me. That person impacted my life. That person, even if they never spoke, I just watched their life. And that person helped me. Especially spiritually. Can you think back? Who are the people that really led you to faith in Christ? It may be a parent. It may be a teacher. It may be a coach. It may be a friend. It may have been a stranger. And it may have been that somebody planted the seed and somebody else watered the seed and somebody else came along and explained and brought you to faith in Christ. But if you're a child of God, those people exist, right? They've left an example for you to follow. And so we look at the therefore since statement. Therefore since there's this great cloud of witnesses, understand the witnesses are testifying. And all he's inviting you to do is go back and look at their testimony in chapter 11. The witnesses are testifying. Consequently, for that reason, then, we're going to do the rest of this passage. In fact, if you do the count, I went back and just went verse by verse and counted. There's at least 20 specific people mentioned. And then there's groups of people that are mentioned. i got, I got to read their names. We already looked last week at Enoch, Abel and Enoch. He also talks about Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And then he mentions Moses' parents. I'm counting that too, mother and father. Then he mentions Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, prophets. Then he just starts with groups. Women, others, and men of whom the world was not worthy. And so he's pointing these people back and he said, look at the example that's been left for you. These witnesses, the word witness is literally the word martyr. They are testifying. There's 20 examples of faith, but here's where we get confused. And I say we, I've heard this passage preached, and I kind of cringe when I hear people say this. For preachers in the room, it's the word hermeneutic. It's a poor hermeneutic to look at when it says, great a cloud of witnesses, and come to this conclusion. And some of you, this is going to shatter some of your beliefs. You're you're not going to like this because it's going to go against what you've always been taught. But I'm going to challenge you to go back and study Scripture. Some people take this passage to mean there's this throng of, like, stadium seats in heaven. And they are watching us run the race. And the encouragement that the writer of Hebrews has given is, since there's this great cloud of witnesses watching us run the race, run with endurance. That is not what the passage means. What does it mean? It means this. We're watching them. They're not watching us. Now, I've already said this earlier, and I've had people out saying, So you don't think they get Facebook in heaven? No. (laughs) It's okay with me if you write something on your Facebook page speaking to someone that's dearly departed. That may be helpful for you. But I just don't think they're getting Facebook in heaven. I see the billboards. I see the signs where we're speaking to people who've gone on before us as if they're reading our text messages or our billboards or something like that. They're not watching us. We're watching them. Big difference. They are martyrs that have gone on before us. In fact, at the end of chapter 11, he said, all of these, 20 individual people and then groups of people, there's a bunch of people he's talking about, all of these have gained approval through their faith, yet they didn't receive what was promised. What does that mean? They had the promise of a Savior coming. They placed their faith in a God who's been promising that and it was counted unto them as righteous and yet they never got to see the full fulfillment of that. They've seen it now. They know it now. But folks, God's provided something better for us, verse 40, so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. Listen, God's provided a Savior. We get to verse 1. We have this great cloud of witnesses. I remember when Phil Mickelson made his putt to win the first Masters. He said, I just believe my granddad was watching and helped that ball to go in. Really? That sounds good, but I want you to think of the ramifications of that. If your loved ones are watching you now, you know, it says there's no tears in heaven. Don't you think there'd be some moments where you mess up would cause sadness for them? We're not performing for the the throngs in heaven. They've already performed for us. We're watching their example and we are now following their example. Think about the meaning of when we say, Well, yeah, I think it's just they're watching me. And somehow I guess that's supposed to motivate me. I think it scares me. Now God's watching. God knows everything I do. Good news is He still loves me. But the throng that is watching, the throng is us watching them. They have left an example of. We're watching them. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, we need to run like they did. Because it got tough for them. And they didn't give up. So consider the witness. And secondly, consider the race. And here's where it gets practical for us. He's not talking about them anymore. Now he's, he's speaking specifically to the people that he's writing. And he said, let us lay aside. The word lay aside means to put off or to lay off every encumbrance, and the sin which so easily entangles us. So two specific things that we're to take off. But here's the deal. When a runner in the games in the Greek culture towed the starting line, do you know what they took off? Everything. Now, the ratings for the Olympics would be entirely different now if they were still naked, all right? But that's how they ran back then. They took anything that would would slow them down, they took it off. Here's the problem. In running the Christian race, when you bring stuff to the starting line that you're still carrying around with you, it's going to affect your performance in the race. What was it for them? The writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish people, two groups, some who have come to faith in Christ and some who've left Judaism. They just haven't come to full faith in Christ. In fact, some of them are kind of looking backwards and thinking, hmm, it's getting tough. People don't like the fact that I'm a Christian. We're being persecuted. So maybe I ought to go back to the old life. And here's what had happened by this time in Jewish culture. They had taken all the law of the Old Testament, which was a good thing, which should have pointed them to their need for a Savior. And you know what they had done with it? They had added more laws to it because it helped them keep score. It made them feel better that if you'll just give me a list, I'll try to keep the list. In fact, in their mind, it came to, you know, you can't keep all the law of the list you know what they would do? They'd just try to get one or two things. Remember they came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? You know what their motivation was there? They're thinking, I can't keep all these hundreds of laws. Just give me one. (laughs) And Jesus did a great job because what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Go back to the Ten Commandments. They all fit into those two categories. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, then you're not going to take his name in vain. You're going to Honor him. You're not going to worship other idols. You love your neighbors yourself. You're not going to lie and cheat and steal and commit adultery and all those things. And yet, the encumbrances that they're they're still carrying around with them was a lot of ritual and legalism and tradition that was just burdening them. What about us? The writer of Hebrews says to lay aside every encumbrance. Now he's speaking to us. What encumbers us? The word encumbrance means a mass. As bending or bulging by its weight. It's a burden. What do we need to lay aside? There may be some things in your life that people have challenged you on. And here's what I hear in our culture. Well, there's nothing wrong with it. Let's ask the question this way. Is there anything right with it? It may be your past. It may be that you're still clinging from things that God has said you're forgiven. And we can't receive that. We're still carrying this burden of things that happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago, five years ago, last week. What would God say to us today? Hey, lay that aside. Especially if it's something I've forgiven you of. Or it may just be the other trappings that you're coming to the starting line and you're just burdened and weighted down. Lay aside every encumbrance. Because here's what happens if you don't. You will start well. You won't finish well. Paul put it this way in Galatians. He said, you foolish Galatians. How would you like to get that letter from Paul? It's that way throughout Galatians. It's like smoke is coming out of Paul's ears when he writes this. When he gets to chapter 3, verse 1, you foolish Galatians. If I'm reading that letter, I'm going, is he talking to me? Are you a Galatian? He's talking to you. (laughs) You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That's what happens when we toe the starting line. We come to faith in Christ. We come by faith. That's the only way you can come. And yet, as we run, we start adding all this other stuff. In fact, Paul puts it this way. Anything you add to the cross becomes an enemy of the cross. Folks, the cross is enough. It's where we find grace. It's where we receive mercy if you're running the race today and you realize, the reason I'm so out of breath is I'm carrying stuff I'm not supposed to be carrying. Well, then put it down. Lay it aside. So lay aside every encumbrance. Also lay aside the sin. And scholars debate over whether he's talking about one specific sin or he's just talking about specific individuals and there's certain besetting sins that are bothering you. I recognize there's certain things that may tempt me that don't tempt you. There may be things that tempt your friend that doesn't tempt you. And you kind of look at it and say, I don't even get that. That's not a temptation for me. Well, I would put it this way. Anything in your life that's taking your focus off of Jesus is something you need to lay aside. And so lay aside every encumbrance and the sin. Because what happens? It easily entangles us. It literally, it constantly distracts. It thwarts us in every direction. So lay aside every sin. And then run with endurance. Run with endurance. What's he saying? Get in the race. Here's the good news about this race. You know, you've heard the thing, you can't win if you don't enter. Here's the good news. If you enter this race and complete the course, you win. We're not competing against each other. There's a race that God has set before us, and we run that race, and we do it with endurance. The word endurance means patience. The word endurance means means a steady determination to keep on going. It's a marathon, not a sprint. We, we've seen those people that come to faith in Christ, and it's like they're just take off running. And at some point, they've got to realize, wait a minute, this wasn't a 100-yard dash. This is a marathon. There's a finish line out there, but for some of us, it's going to be years into the future. God's got a plan for us. We're living the plan. So run it with Endurance. And then I love this. The race set out before us. The word race is where we get the word agony from. So understand, the race has points of agony in it. It's not easy. It's a marathon. But our course is specifically for us. You don't pick your course. God does. And I don't have to run your course. And when I'm running my course, I don't have to be jealous of your course. Or envious We're glad I'm not on that one. (laughs) I run the race. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul saying, I'm at the end. I recognize that. But I can tell you this, I've run the race and I finished the course, the course that was laid out for me. So let's run, get in the race, run with endurance. Let me just give you a couple of practical ways, just a few thoughts I wrote down. What helps us run? Well, one thing that helps us run is the example of those that have gone before us. Chapter 11 of Hebrews. But I've already asked you the question. There's people in your life that God has crossed your path with. It may be a departed loved one. It may have been a grandmother, grandfather. It may have been a mom or dad. It may have been a pastor. It may have been a Sunday school teacher or a small group leader. One of the things that helps us run the race is we have an example that's left before us. We also have the encouragement and accountability of those who are running with us. One of the great things about church, in fact, we've already looked at this, The writer of Hebrews has already said in chapter 10, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. In other words, hey, some people have quit going to church. You need church. You need other people involved in your life, and you need to be involved in their life because you have encouragement and accountability in that. There's others, but the third one is just the Holy Spirit. Listen. The day you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life. And he comes as comforter. He comes as reminder to remind you of all the things that have been written. He illumines the scripture for you. He helps you to pray. So we're not in the race alone, but it's our race. Then he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fixing your eyes, literally, to consider attentively. Or one definition is to view with undefided attention by looking away from every other object. Now, you may not believe this by looking at me, but I'm not like a big-time runner. I know some of you are thinking, weren't you trying out for the Olympics? No. But I know this about running. If you're running, some of the things you don't need to be looking at are like your feet. Because what happens if you're looking down when you're running? You'll run into something. Or you'll get off course. The other thing you don't do is you don't spend a lot of time looking back at other runners. You're not, not looking side to side. What do you look at? Really, the best thing to look at is what's ahead. And what are we to fix our eyes on? Jesus. The things that will distract us are the things of this world, other people, or maybe even ourselves. Ladies, you might not know this, but men love walking by mirrors and posing. you ever watched your husband? Especially like if he's, you know, getting in the shower or something, doesn't have a shirt on. You know, you ever notice we kind of like to, you know suck in the gut, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so what he's saying is don't run the Christian life that way. We're not posing for anybody else. We're not posing for the camera. We're not posing for other runners. We've got to take our eyes off ourselves so that we can run the race. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't get distracted by the other stuff. Because difficult times do come, don't they? In fact, the thing that will trip you up running the race is when you take your eyes off of Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. The author, the chief leader, the pioneer, the originator, and the perfecter of our faith. The word perfecter means completer, the finisher, one who completes a thing. And here's the good news there was a course laid out for Jesus. He finished it. What did he say from the cross? One of the last things he said, It is finished. It's finished. Run with endurance, fix your eyes on Jesus, because he endured the cross. And I want you to get this. He endured the cross for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. What's he talking about? What Jesus went through was horrendous. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, God, if there's any other way, if this cup could pass from me. Why is that? Because he understood the pain he was about to go through. And it wasn't just the beating and the nails in his hand. It, had hands. it was, he was about to take upon himself the weight of the sin of the world. And yet, what did, he always, what did he constantly say in that prayer? But not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus saw something beyond the cross. If all the cross was was the finish line, there wasn't anything beyond that, there's no hope there. But it says, "For the joy set before him." What was the joy? Well, one was to glorify the Father. But the other was to redeem you. For the joy set before him means Jesus is going to spend eternity in heaven with you because your sin has been paid for. Jesus did something for you that you could not do for yourself. You will not face God someday, and God say, "Why should I let you into heaven?" And you say, "Well, oh, that's pretty good." <laughs> I've joked about this before. I think there's some people think we're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, why should you let me in? You're going to look around and say, you let him in. It doesn't work that way. Why did he let him in? Because he or she placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Their penalty of their sin was paid for by Jesus on the cross. Don't show up in heaven with all that on you. Because it won't go well. So Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Was it horrible? Absolutely. He also cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, who had always enjoyed perfect fellowship with the Father, experienced God turning away from him at the cross. Yeah, Jesus despised the shame. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And now what has he done? He said this before in Hebrews. He has sat down. At the right hand of the throne of God. Why do you sit down? Because the work's over. He sits at the right hand of the Father. It also says, earlier in Hebrews, he is constantly interceding for us. Isn't that great to know? Jesus is still active, but he's seated because his work is finished. In fact, the only time in Scripture I see him stand is when Stephen's being stoned in Acts. It said when Stephen looked up into heaven right before he died, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Jesus has finished his race. And then the last thing, verse 3, consider him. Consider Jesus. He has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Because of that, two things will close. Consider him. It literally means to reckon up, carefully assess, carefully consider Jesus. Take a look at him. Now, he's writing this to a group of Jews who were having a hard time coming to grips with the fact that he was the Messiah that had over 330 prophecies of him in the Old Testament. And so he's saying, consider Jesus. He endured such hostility from sinners against himself. So don't grow weary and lose heart. What did Jesus say right before he left earth? If you read John's gospel, he says, listen, they hated me. They're going to hate you, too. There's going to be persecution in this life. There's going to be people who don't get it, who don't like the fact that you're Christians. And folks, in 21st century America, it's getting worse. But in the rest of the world, there are people being persecuted today like it's been a long time since that happened. There are Christians in Iraq that have been basically told either convert or... Or get out or die. That's your choice. So some of them are having to, without transportation, climb over mountains that it gets 120 degrees in the heat of the summer just to get out of a rock. Listen, the persecution you and I experience right now in America is nothing compared to what other Christians are doing around the face of the earth. But check it out sometime. The voice of the martyrs, the persecuted Christians. Understand there is persecution. They were experiencing it in the first century. The people he's writing this letter to. And he says, don't grow weary. There's a toil out there. You're going to labor. But don't labor to weakness. Don't labor to the point where you just give up. And don't, for all things, don't lose heart. In fact, the word he uses for heart here is not the normal word for heart. Normally the Greek word is cardia This is the word for breath. Literally, don't lose your breath. In fact, it was a... A sporting term in the first century. for So don't get to the finish line so exhausted you can't go on. One of the things David writes about in Psalms is he says, restore my breath. Give me back my breath, God. Let me close with just four thoughts about our race. One, we're not going to finish the race apart from radical divestment. What I mean? We're not going to finish the race unless we take off the stuff that's keeping us from running the race. If it's something from your past or something from your present, something you just had not let go of that God's saying let go of, I'm telling you today, you're not going to run the race like God wants you to till you let go. Number two, sometimes you just got to put one foot in front of the other and refuse to quit. The going may get tough at times. But that's when you say, God, I don't know if i got strength for ten more steps, but, God, I'm going to take the next step you've given me. Number three, let Jesus be the center and the horizon of everything you see. Keep your eyes on him. If you ever get to the point where you feel like giving up, refocus. And I can tell you some things that help you do that. Just read God's word. Pop in some music that worships God and just refocus on him. And then last, follow his example. It's great that we have other godly people, whether it's Hebrews 11 or people around us or people that have gone before us, that we follow their example. But the main thing to follow is Jesus, who never gave up. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Just encourage you today to ask yourself the question, where's your eyes right now? It's easy and Everyday life to allow your eyes to focus on your problems, on yourself, on worry. You can lay in bed at night and stare at the ceiling playing the what-if game. Focus on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. And then ask God the question, God, is there anything I need today to let go of? Thank you, God, that you have forgiven us. We don't have to carry sin around because we're forgiven. So, God, get us in the race and help us to finish like Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.